We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what is happening? It is Thursday, October 13th, 2022. Welcome into another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, however you're tuned in. We are currently live on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus is where you can find us. And joining me for this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast is my guy, Spencer McLaughlin. Always a great time to have you on. Uh, and man, you're uh, you're excited for some Mariners baseball today. I am always excited for Mariners baseball, even after the absolute heartbreak and despair that I was experiencing on Monday night. It was rough, but series not over just just yet. So we're uh, we're getting this in right before right before the M's get underway and break my heart again. <laughs> no, yeah, I think we can definitely relate to to heart heartbreak uh, on the baseball front a little bit. I mean, the Giants have been doing better lately. Then there's my Giants uh, parking sign for those. Just to clarify that it's not a Beavs thing. Um, so <laughs> I think you, to I think you had told me about that. I think you yeah, had told me good, about that the other time. But it's, it's a good it's a good thing to clarify. And also, I I just have to say. My my sympathy for the Giants will only go so far right now because you have three World Series crowns that came in a five year span, and my team hasn't been there yet. So we're we're in different places of fandom fandom pain right now, but we're just happy to be there. Absolutely, that's uh, that's totally fair. Yeah, we got some people checking in. Gerard says what's up. Uh, Brooks is here. Christopher is here. So uh, we got some of the regulars in, and we are excited to get this show underway. Um, just kind of starting things off, as we all know, uh, Spencer Oregon's in their bye week. They enter the bye week at five and one, three and zero oh in Pac-12 play. And I, I, you know, I titled it the this podcast. Uh, Oregon's bye week comes at a perfect time, and uh, I can't help but think that's true. Uh, especially if you rewind things a little bit, you go back to the beatdown in Atlanta, and then I mean, they just haven't looked back. So it feels like this comes at the perfect time, especially with UCLA on deck. So I actually disagree with you here. Interesting. I am okay. not loving where this buy is, is coming for the ducks because the way they've responded so far after that beat down against Georgia has been about as close to perfect as you could have hoped for other than the first half against Washington state, but you found a way to win that game and even good teams Every year, go out and have weeks where they struggle. USC looks like a good team this year. They struggled with Oregon State. UCLA is a really good team this year. They struggled with South Alabama. You have to have those weeks to get through. So with that in mind, 
I don't know how much better the last five weeks could have gone for the Ducks. You, you blew out Stanford the way you want to. You blew out Arizona on the road. You blew out BYU. Everything is rolling right now. And there are a couple knickknack injuries here and there. But, I mean, Justin Flo, unfortunately, is just kind of perennially injured at, at this point, which really, really sucks. But hopefully he'll be back out there and healthy for the UCLA game. I think that's the area where I'm most excited to have the bye right now. But overall, when you're rolling, you, you want to just kind of keep it going. That's the way I see it. The offense has been good. The defense is getting better. They can go to practice and work on some stuff. But I feel like you want to keep playing when when you're hot. And the perfect time for a bye is ideally after a win, but after a win like Washington State. Like if we had gone in conference play, Arizona, and then Stanford, and then the Washington State game, all those games playing out the exact same way, then I'd feel like this is the perfect time for the bye to kind of you know, settle down, reset, and 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 look forward after a game that Oregon probably should have lost up in up in Pullman. But UCLA has got the same thing. They're off a big win against Utah, and now they're on a bye coming into next week's game, which does not happen very often, where you have both teams off a bye coming into it. I think it definitely favors Oregon being at home in, in that game, even more so than, than normal. But I really think after after that first week, I, I don't know how much better Oregon could have played so far. Yeah, okay, that's that's an interesting point. It's good to have some some uh, productive disagreement. I think the main reason that I that I think this comes at such a good time for Oregon is um, is because they are playing so well, and partially because of their next opponent, like being able to rest up before you play what is looking like the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Sure, USC is still undefeated, but this is the most quality win, I think, of the two teams. Um, so, you, yeah, UCLA is looking really good. So you want to have some of that extra time to prepare. Uh, you know, like Lanning says, go to the doctor and, and get looked at and, and get uh, get healthy uh, and everything. But I also think that the way that the rest of the way that Oregon's schedule kind of shakes out. Uh, so you have UCLA and then you have Cal. I mean, Cal looks the best that they've looked in a little bit, or they definitely look better from last year. Maybe I should temper that a little bit. I think they look better than last year, um, at least so yeah. far. And then Colorado is just, you know, Colorado's Colorado, but that Washington game is going to be an interesting one. And then you have Utah. So I think that those are looking like, you know, some of the, the, the biggest games, kind of the trend with this schedule. They come at home, which is good for Oregon. They do have some momentum, so I, a lot of momentum at that. So I see your point about kind of wanting to stay hot. Um, but I also think, you know, it's kind of a random thing that I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure teams don't have control over when they get their buy. Um, so I think that this is a, you know, a fairly good draw for Oregon, all things considered, but to your point, there are some huge games on the back end, uh, and maybe the, the buy would be better used at a little bit of a later date. Yeah. You do like to have it before a, a big game to make sure you're at, you're at full health and have the maximum amount of preparation time going into that. So, you know, I'd rather have the buy going into UCLA playing hot than going into say Colorado or Cal. Right. Um, but the, the toughest games on Oregon schedule that, that are left, you've got really, really four difficult ones. And then two that shouldn't be a problem, right? UCLA, Utah, Washington, all coming at home, Oregon state on the road, and then you've got Colorado and Cal. Somehow we're halfway through. I just refuse to believe that the regular season is halfway over already. Like we're already into the middle portion of October. It's pretty it's pretty nuts. But I think when you look at Cal, they're you know, they're they're not gonna be a Colorado. 
I don't think they're even going to be in Arizona. They're better than Arizona right now, but are they that good? No. Is it going to be that tough of a road environment? No. Same in Colorado. Just as a bad football team, that is straight up a bad, a bad football team, unfortunately for Buffs fans, but they have nothing like, you know, even when teams are bad, like Arizona a year ago was bad, right? They finished one and 11. They lost to NAU. The only team they beat was Cal and the bears were missing a bunch of players in that game. They were pretty limited, but Arizona had games in a one and 11 season, including against Oregon, by the way, the ducks pulled away late at Autzen stadium, but they had games where they were playing hard and they were competitive from time to time. They got blown out on several occasions, but they had some instances where they were competitive and you felt like, Oh, this is finally going to be when, when they get the monkey off their back and just, you know, finally break through and get a win. Colorado hasn't had that this year at all. They were kind of hanging around in Arizona with the Wildcats, but not really. So um, Cal does not scare me. Their defense is not as good as it usually is. They're still, you know, going to pose some problems on that side of the ball. Wilcox always has those guys well coached, but I think for Oregon, it's a great spot to be in where you can really look at the other four games and say those should be the only ones that that matter that come into play here because Cal and Colorado should not present a threat. Colorado, I I don't know how they could possibly present a threat against against Oregon. Cal, I see how, but I don't anticipate that happening because what they do well offensively is run the football and what Oregon does well defensively to this point is stop the run. But each of the other four teams have got something that that worries me, though. If Oregon State is not able to get Chance Nolan back, it scares me a little less. But still, it's going to be on the road in Corvallis. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad this is uh, kind of the last day that uh, that we're recording shows and whatnot during the bye week. And next week we can really move to, to UCLA because that's that's a huge just game day caliber game. Frankly, both teams could be in the top 10. This is a crazy weekend of college football is about to come. Oregon's at 12, UCLA's at 11. You could very realistically, very, very realistically have a top 10 matchup, or at least you'll have a top 12 or one in the top 10, something like that. Should be a big time game. It's a huge game, and we'll have to see how the rest of uh, this really strong weekend of uh, games uh, plays out for the rest of the country while Oregon and UCLA kind of just sit back and watch, um, see what what, uh, unfolds uh, in the other parts of the country. Just a couple last notes here on the bye week. Uh, Landing was talking about how recruiting is going to be a pretty big emphasis for them this week. Uh, coaches hitting the road of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even Saturday a little bit, Landing said. Uh, I know that one school in particular that they've been hitting really hard is St. Francis Academy out there in the Baltimore area in Maryland. Um, I think like three guys got offers just in like the past 24 hours or so. Uh, from what I can tell, Coach Demetrius Martin is, is the one that is out there. Uh, from what I've been able to gather for Oregon. So definitely priority for them to to hit the road hard and, and make the most of this time to get that evaluation and get that time in front of recruits, coaches, build those relationships. And then the other note was how Lanning was talking about how every player has an individual personalized development plan to kind of go about attacking their progress this season. And obviously that's going to be honed in on this week. You know, he was talking about in the press conference yesterday or two days ago, excuse me, find that one thing that you want to get better at this week and attack it. And then also there was four things on each side of the ball that the offensive and defensive units want to improve on. So, um, you know, kind of cool to get a little bit more insight from Lanning as far as how they're using this week. Um, 
Spencer, I know we're, we're rocking and rolling. So I just want to hop right into the next topic. Um, didn't want to cut you off, but just wanted to shift us along a little bit. Now that we're kind of in the midway mark, we, we've learned a lot about this team, a lot about some, some new faces, some returning faces. Um, let's, let's talk about this. Players that have grown the most in the first half of the season. Um, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I feel like the conversation kind of has to start with Bo Nix, don't you think? Yeah, it, it does. And I recently on Locked on Ducks, a show that I'm sure some of you know I, I host on YouTube or podcast, oh, is, uh, is, is a question I answered recently, which was who's your biggest overperformer on offense so far? And the answer is Bo Nix. And coming into this year, I know some Oregon fans were upset that that he he was probably going to be our quarterback. I wonder what those fans are thinking right now and whether or not Bo Nix has won them over through the first half of the season. Because aside from the Georgia game, when the entire team, basically, except for the offensive line, was overmatched, Bo Nix has been really, really good. And the areas, aside from one play against Washington State where he struggled at Auburn, he's improved upon dramatically, right? All the concerns that you heard about Bo Nix, justifiably so, because of his time at Auburn, right? We were able to watch those games, see what he put on tape. It wasn't just a handful of games. It was, you know, almost three full seasons worth. He was turnover prone. He broke out. He broke down in the pocket. He didn't get through progressions. Those are areas where he is not just taking a step forward, but is now actively good at them. And how many times, again, aside from that Washington State throw, which, you know, was really bad, and Bo's got to see that, and he hasn't made a throw like that since, but also was a really bad play call from Kenny Dillingham to try to run the same thing again. I think he was just getting too cute, but that, that's an entirely different conversation. Aside from that play, when has Bo Nix the last few weeks been putting the ball in harm's way? A game, by the way, even with that interception, he came back for a career-high 426 yards or whatever it was. The game-winning touchdowns let us down the field an amazing comeback. Like, he has been even better than I thought he could be because I watched what he had at Auburn and yeah, he had some good athletes at wide receiver, but he didn't have much of a running game and his offensive line was overmatched and he's coming into this situation, Oregon, where it's probably the best offensive line in the conference. They're absurdly good, even better than I thought they'd be this year. They've been remarkable and the statistics back that up. He's got a running game with a variety of backs and I didn't know what he'd be with Kenny Dillingham as a first time play caller, and that transition seems to be seamless. And so I thought he could be like a mid-60s completion percentage, percentage guy. It might surprise some people out there to hear that Bo Nix right now is completing over 70% of his passes this year. That's ridiculously efficient. Ridiculous. If he holds that up over the second half of the season, it's unlikely he'd probably come back because – he might have the pro scout saying, hey, maybe this guy is pretty good and just needed a better offensive system than what you have at Auburn, who's about to fire their second coach. So I've been just so impressed, and I thought he could be a better or the best version of himself, but I didn't think we would see someone as refined with his decision-making within the pocket as what we've gotten from Bonick so far. He's worked on that tremendously. Dillingham and the offensive staff deserve a lot of credit, but Bonix has put in the time and he trusts that offensive line. And that's a big component. No doubt about it. And, in, and another area where he's grown, I think just as a result of some of those areas you mentioned is just his overall confidence, the way he's carrying himself. It's, it's like a complete 180 from or the opposite of what we saw from Anthony Brown, who just surprisingly lacked confidence when you consider how well he played in the NFL preseason, but there were a bunch of other factors at play there. He clearly 
really wasn't able to operate to his full level with uh, with the play calling and uh, just some of the other you know reads that he was kind of asked to make. But with with Bo, I think he's he's doing it in a variety of ways. Taking care of the ball is obviously the biggest one. Uh, the confidence that he has to to tuck it and run in these recent weeks is huge. I mean, the line he put up against Arizona, I think it was 20 for 25 with 265 yards through the air and no passing touchdowns. But then he also had three rushing touchdowns with his legs. So you know Bo's going to show up in some area or another. Uh, but the next guy that I want to talk about, and we can just stay on offense for a little bit here, Spencer, I got to go with Troy Franklin. Maybe it's an easy one because he has been you know, the star wide receiver. But you have to think when he broke onto the scene last year, he, he really didn't, I think it took like maybe five or six games for him to start something around there. I think it was around the midway mark. Uh, a lot of the catches he was getting were, you know, on screens, short passes early on. And now that he's transformed into the lead receiver, it's, it just seems pretty remarkable because we haven't had a true bona fide number one that has had this kind of an impact for, for quite some time. Devin Williams came on strong last year, but for Troy Franklin to be putting this together, uh, I think it speaks not only to his ability and development, but also to the rest of the wideouts, I think, because they're they're commanding some attention too. You know, you got Chris Hudson you got to plan for. You got Chase Cody you have to plan for. But Troy Franklin has to be there as one of the guys who has grown the absolute most. And he stepped right into that role as a lead wideout, even uh, as a true sophomore. Yeah, the best part of Kenny Dillingham's offense is how many guys – he's able to get involved, but it never feels like he's forcing that just to keep guys from transferring or getting them involved just for the sake of being involved. That's just what he wants offensively. And the execution from the Ducks so far led by Bo Nix has been really, really good. And the chemistry with Franklin has been really evident. And, you know, going back to last year, Franklin did get off to a little bit of a slower start. He had a couple catches, I think, against Ohio State, which is not nothing. You know, creating separation against the the Buckeyes is not something. Even a bad Ohio State defense is still better than a lot of defenses, just from a caliber of athlete perspective that's on the other side for, for Oregon's offense there. But Troy Franklin's breakout game last year was against Colorado, who was not that good. They did have Christian Gonzalez and Makai Blackman, two names who are now starting corners on two of the best teams in the Pac-12 in Oregon, of course, and then uh, Blackman went down to USC. He had a great game against the Buffs at Autzen Stadium, and one reason Oregon's offense had such a great game that day was they did what they rarely did in 2021, and that's throw the ball down the field consistently. And Troy Franklin made a couple of really great, incredible catches. And so to see him make that leap, is a realization of the promise of that high caliber of a recruit because even true freshmen who are highly touted prospects can take some time to, to really get things going. And Kayvon Thibodeau is a great example. Number one overall recruit in the country was not playing on every down through the first few games when, when he got to Oregon. I don't think he should have been because he wasn't fully developed. He wasn't fully refined didn't know all the plays and his assignments and whatnot. But then by the time the year ended, when Oregon was in the Pac-12 championship and Rose Bowl, you watched him go, oh, he's, he's the best player on the field. And then the 2020 season comes around, his second with the Ducks, and he is dominating that game against USC in the Pac-12 championship down there in L.A. And you're watching going, man, 
that's a big leap. And they call it the sophomore jump or the sophomore leap. And Troy Franklin is doing that. And, and what makes him such a great presence for Oregon offensively and for Bo Nix at the quarterback position is give me a route and Troy Franklin can run it. And not every receiver can do that. Some guys, I thought coming into the year, Franklin would be someone who, you know, operates primarily within the line of scrimmage to like 15 or 20 yards down the field. But the deep shots he's taken this year, the seam routes, the deep post against BYU, the back shoulder fade. How about the, the footwork against Stanford? Like add up all these plays and you go, this is a really complete well-rounded wide receiver he's such a fluid athlete but he's explosive he's good after the catch he's got great hands i don't think he's the most physical receiver in the world but because he's such a good athlete he doesn't necessarily need to be and when you watch that route that he put on a washington state db and that's a good cougars defense a really good cougars defense for the go-ahead touchdown up there in pullman that is some nfl caliber stuff i think he still has a little bit of a ways to go on that front but he certainly looks the part because he, he's got good height. He's got good hands. But the way that he runs his routes down the field is what makes him a lethal weapon. That's why Bo Nix keeps going to him. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. Troy Franklin's an absolute playmaker. And another thing that's just so great for Oregon about the leap that he's made, you have some of the best receivers in the country already committed in the fold for 2023, like Jerion Dickey, like Ashton Cozart. Now you have something you can market. Like the fact that Brian McClendon was able to get Troy Franklin to Oregon when Oregon's passing offense was as limited as it was is remarkable. Now look at the impact that a season like this can have on classes down the line. I know that Oregon's still recruiting a number of really highly touted prospects at wideout in 2023. Five-star Texas wide receiver, Jontae Cook being one of them. Louisville wide receiver commit, DeAndre Moore being another one. So now Troy Franklin goes out and is just balling out on a pretty consistent basis. And now you have someone that you can point to be like, hey, we want you to come here and be the next Troy Franklin, be the next star in our offense. And then when he maybe doesn't have a star study game, you have other guys like Chris Hudson, who's diving for 50-yard bombs down the field, like Chase Cota, who can catch the ball on a screen and just turn on the afterburner. So we're seeing some of that well-roundedness. And, man, Troy Franklin has just been one of the biggest stories of Oregon on this uh, offensive breakout in 2022. Yeah, the versatility and the explosiveness, I think, are the biggest changes from the offense a year ago. And it's been you know, kind of a, a breath of fresh air to see Oregon have those easy drives. A year ago, the offense was capable of doing a number of things, but there was untapped potential there, mostly because the way they approached it stylistically was they wanted to use the clock, run the ball, not worried about being too explosive all the time, every now and then take a shot down the field. But what they were missing was the big time vertical downfield passing game. And what that does for your offense is it makes it, easier to score right those easy drive like think about that BYU catch from Troy Franklin that's an easy touchdown right it's a great throw but it's easy when you have to work all the time and just grind your way down the field and execute so many third downs to score it limits your offensive capability and that's why those chunk plays are so important and it's really really great to see these guys realizing their potential on the recruiting front I I love the prospect of Jurion Dickey coming in and just filling Chase Cota's slot as as a true freshman, he probably will. He he is he is that kind of player. 
he is him. As as they say, his stock just keeps going up, 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 up. Teams are still trying to poach him away from Oregon. Ducks have always been his dream school, so hopefully he stay he stays committed. But I think the other the other element you have to consider on the recruiting trail is yeah, you can look to these games and look to the offense and the receiver and say, look at what these guys are doing. Look at the numbers. Look at the production. That's what we envision for you and such. But what else can they sell, Max? Dante Moore is coming. So even if Bo Nix leaves for the NFL after this year, which at this rate he probably will, you can go out on the recruiting trail and say, hey, this is what we can do offensively. Here's where you fit into that, and that's the guy who's probably going to be throwing you the football. And Dante Moore has got a lot, a lot of hype, and and he should because he's a very refined, polished, accurate thrower of, of the football. And I'm excited to see how that all plays out. And I, I don't have too high hopes of flipping – the Louisville guy or Jonte Cook, who's committed to Texas right now with with Arch Manning. It, it's possible he was on campus recently, which was a surprise. I talked about that with John Garcia, Sports Illustrated's director of recruiting. He said, yeah, it's it's noteworthy. There's nothing, you know, urgent or a decommitment or anything coming at this point in time. But that was one that in the recruiting space, people were kind of in the industry caught off guard like, wait. He, he he went there. He like he wanted to at least go check it out. Now, a lot of times guys are just doing their due diligence, making sure that uh, they they've explored all their options thoroughly. Or the other thing, too, there's 17, 18 year old kids who doesn't want to be treated like a star, even if you're not going to go somewhere like the visit is paid for. You're going to go and walk around campus and meet coaches, talk to people and have meals paid for like being taken on a visit as a highly coveted recruit sounds pretty fun. So that, that could be a component of it too. Like that can't be a bad, a bad experience, right? They're putting a lot of money into it to make sure that it's an actively good experience. So I, I, I don't have too high hopes there, but I think having Dante Moore does matter, you know, because Dante cooks going to Texas, he's looking at Quinn Ewers. He's thinking about Arch Manning and such. But when Oregon can come in and say, yeah, we've got a really promising quarterback recruit as well, that certainly helps. Yeah, so those two, I'm not saying like, you know, a flip is imminent or like that's incoming, but it's just it's just interesting because some of the people I've talked to have said there's a legitimate shot there. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe Jonte wants to come back to, to campus after the season's over. Figure he's probably going to be an early enrollee, early signee guy because of the caliber of player he is, but we'll continue to track those recruiting storylines. We're going to hop and take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about the defensive breakout players on the back end of the show. So give me just a second. We'll be right back with more Oregon football talk after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Locked On Ducks host, Spencer McLaughlin. And uh, I just took a sip of my afternoon coffee. Uh, give me a little jolt to get through the, the afternoon. But uh, we're talking about Oregon's bye week, and then now we're going to talk about the players that have grown the most in the first half of the season on the defensive side of the ball, wrap up the show with a little bit of assessing reality versus expectations of this season. Got to give Spencer credit for that idea. But uh, let's talk some defense. I think that for me, the two guys, there's three guys that kind of stand out to me the most, and maybe some one of them is a little under the radar. I'm going to throw the names at you, and then if there's one that you want to talk about, we can just hop into there. I'm going to go with Jaleel Florence as one of the guys that's grown the most, seeing that he uh, he's burning his red shirt, really came in, and I thought he performed pretty well against one of the best wide receiver cores in the pack last week against Arizona. Dante Manning, I kind of wanted to say, but I feel like we maybe only saw like one really strong half against Arizona before he got ejected. But the third one that I'm very passionate about, I got to go with Casey Rogers. So I, I love the Casey Rogers play. I've hyped him a lot. I hyped him up a lot on, on my show because I don't know that he always gets the stats, but every time you watch when Oregon is creating pressure or creating a negative play defensively caused by the four up front, Casey Rogers is getting a hockey assist quite often. And that's not going to show up on a box score or on, on a highlight reel or anything like that. But I watch him and he's never getting moved around. He's got a nose for the football and his IQ is pretty high, which you should expect from a guy who's already played several seasons of college football. And he's just, I, th- I think he's just annoying. I think it's just annoying for other teams that he's just around and, and you're not going like, ha- have you seen him get pancaked this year? Have you seen him get moved three to five yards back from the line of script. Like that hasn't happened. Does he make the Brandon Dorless DJ Johnson level impact plays? Not as often, but he and Jordan Riley filling in for Popo Amavai have done a really good job. This Oregon defense best in the conference max rushing yards allowed per game. And that starts with the guys up front. Now your linebackers have a great deal to do with that as well. You need your secondary to tackle well, but having Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, that helps stop the run too. But if you can't get a push or at least hold your own as a front four, then then none of it matters. But I I really like what, what I've seen from Casey Rogers. Florence has been a little hit or miss. I thought he showed a lot of growth against Arizona because those are good wide receivers. I mean, best receiving cores in the Pac-12, USC's number one. You can make a case for Oregon being number two, but Arizona is right up there with the Ducks and uh, and UCLA Washington as well. Washington looks good too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Sorry, yeah, but they, yeah. They look forgot. solid. Yeah, okay, but if you're looking at the top half of the Pac-12, Arizona's receiving core is right there. Cowing, T-Mac, and Singer, those are dudes. And so, solid. I suspected there'd be some open plays, and Jalil Florence's interception was 
you know, thanks to Brandon Dorless because he got picked off and right? yeah, in, in a well-designed play by, by Jed fish for, for Arizona's offense. But there were moments I thought the interception that got called back because of the holding was kind of bogus. That was a pretty soft holding penalty. It was a really soft holding penalty that moment. And then the third and 11 where singer is trying him deep and Triquez bridges got beat on a similar looking play earlier in the game. And Florence went in there and was stride for stride, forced that throw to go to go to the sideline because there was just not a lot of separation. There are moments where I watch him and go, that guy could be Christian Gonzalez next year after Gonzo most likely leaves and goes to the NFL. But there are still some moments here and there where he's not quite in the right spot. He also made a great play on Arizona's two-point attempt late in that game, made a great break on the ball and a good read. And I like a freshman, a true freshman especially, who's diagnosing a play and trusting what he sees. But there are still moments where he's got some blown coverages. You know, against Stanford, he got beat for a touchdown, and he just kind of let the guy go and thought he was in a better position than he was. So he still has those areas of growth to continue to improve upon. But the great thing is he's going to get chances to do that, but he won't be relied upon to do that necessarily because Dante Manning's there, because Triquez Bridges is there. He's going to get reps on the field, but he's not going to be someone who, unless there are a couple injuries, is relied upon play after play after play. And I think that's a great spot for him to be on in the secondary as a true freshman. Yeah, and, and I like that that kind of role that you described there. But even better for Oregon if he, you know, maybe over this week, next couple of weeks, just proves so good. It's like, hey, I mean, we we need you starting there. Um, like you're too good to keep off the field, kind of a deal. So um, that's kind of been an interesting thing that Oregon has managed throughout this season, and no doubt will have a ton of attention uh, as they're in the bye week, is kind of figuring out the rest of that rotation at corner. The last guy that I just wanted to have a note to or a little shout out to. I would kind of say Brian Addison, not that he's improved dramatically, but he's someone that we really haven't seen a whole lot from during his time at Oregon. And now we're seeing him gradually appear more and more, not like he's making jaw dropping plays necessarily, but I feel like he's kind of become one of those reliable guys in the secondary uh, as they continue to rotate in a lot of safeties with uh, Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams, Steve Stevens, and some other guys in that conversation. But uh, I've been like pleasantly surprised about his progression um, and, and I'm excited to see that. Uh, let's get into our last topic, Spencer, because I know the M's are coming up real soon. Let's kind of just assess the, the expectations versus reality for, for Oregon right now, because I, I'm interested to see what you think about how, how they've kind of, how far they've come. I think the offense has exceeded expectations. I feel like almost any Oregon fan would tell you that, but at the same time, it's not a shock because look at all this talent that Oregon has. They just needed somebody that was going to use it the right way. And maybe a coach that was going to, you know, back off a little bit and let the, let the OC do their thing, let the OC cook. Um, but overall, I feel like to a degree, and, and I don't want to be overcritical here, I feel like the defense has been a little bit underwhelming or maybe isn't quite to that degree that they were expecting given the talent that they have to work with uh, on that side of the ball with, you know, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, DJ Johnson, Christian Gonzalez, Bennett Williams. Those are some of the best players on that defense, but Throughout the offseason leading up to this, it was, you know, Dan Lanning coming in, Tosh Lapoy coming in, Matt Pallage, other heavy hitters that are all awesome coaches. But to me, it feels like they're a little bit short of that mark. And, and I think most people would agree. What, what do you think in there? Uh, before I answer that, just a, a couple comments, because I know there are people commenting and always appreciate sure. that. I just wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, Brooks is talking about Tyler Turner, says he's been playing well down in San Antonio, which is great to hear because... 
I'm not as high on what I've seen from the safety so far. I don't feel like there's that roaming presence on the back end. I think that's one reason Oregon has been a little exploitable in the passing game. They don't have a great rover who has the instincts and speed to get all over the field. So maybe Turner will be that, or, you know, maybe it'll be uh, Trajan, Trajan Williams out of Jefferson high school. Who's on the roster, probably redshirting this year. I, that That's a position that, that has to improve going forward. And and then Christopher asked about whether or not Dante Moore could start as, as a freshman. I think he could, I'm not saying he, he will, but is it, is it possible Yes, I, I think it is because Ty Thompson to this point and they've got him ahead of Jay Butterfield in the depth chart. But every time Ty Thompson comes in, I don't think it's a coincidence when it happens time and time again that the offense struggles to move the ball. And the best he's looked has been against Eastern Washington so far. At the very least, if Bo Nix goes to the NFL, Dante Moore will be given the chance. Can he make the adjustment? We won't know until he gets here, but it looks like he'll he'll have the chance. Back to the 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 question here, and that's reality versus expectations. I think offensively, I think you are above where you're expecting, right? I I thought this offense would be better, had an opportunity to to complete more deep balls, but it's just so multiple. It's smart. It's well executed. It's well coached. There are so many little things. I look for, you know, one of my favorite plays, my two favorite plays from the Arizona game, Max, that, that exemplify what I am talking about. The tight end sweep to Maliki Matavau was chef's kiss. You know what I liked even more? The play that set it up, the quick hitter Ferguson. And most fans are going to look at this and see, oh, that's a nice completion. But when you're talking about a well-coached offense and a, and a quarterback who understands the system, where to go with the ball and I don't know if it was an all slants call or if it was a hot read, but whatever the case, Bo Nix diagnoses the pressure. Sean Dollars picks it up. The offensive line slides, and it was a six-man pressure, and Bo Nix is kept clean in the pocket. That's not an easy thing to do, but they do it perfectly, and Bo Nix seeing pressure, knowing he's not going to have press man and has a limited time to get that ball to Ferguson, who's looking for the ball, makes the play, gets down, and sets up a beautiful play call. It's the little details like that that I'm impressed with this offense, and they continue to improve because I think those details were missing up in Pullman against Washington State. It's why they kept stalling in the red zone. But the continued improvement with a first-time play caller and a first-time head coach in Dan Lanning is what you want to continue to see and they've been explosive. They've been multiple. They're balanced. They're using all their weapons. There's just not much, again, except for that first half against Washington State since the Georgia game that I haven't liked offensively. I think they're doing a lot, a, a lot of really good things. Defensively, I agree with you on the one hand that they're, you know, we're, we're still bad on third down. That's that's a problem. Got to be able to get off the field. However. Not all stats are good in isolation. All stats are a starting point, but they need context because the only stats that matter to me are how many points you're actually allowing and whether or not it feels sustainable. And Oregon's defense has felt like a sustainable and strong unit to this point. Three points and a half against Stanford. I don't care what happens in the second half of that game because it's over, right? If Stanford puts up some garbage time yards, what do I care? It's over. BYU, same thing. You're up 30, what was it, 31 to 7? Oh, yeah, two, it was three, decided. Two, three, 
Yeah, yeah, it's over. So you look up, you say, well, they allowed 20 points there. I'm like, yeah, but 13 of those points don't matter in the game because it's already over. And Ty Thompson threw an interception that, that put the defense in a bad spot. Arizona, same thing. You look up 22 points. Again, none of those are bad numbers. If you allow, you know, I think it was 20 to Stanford, 22 to Arizona and 20 to BYU. Those are good numbers overall, but I think the context makes the defense look even better where the game is being put away. And Arizona really had one play, but the Ducks forced a couple of turnovers to thwart scoring opportunities, and they made those plays. Arizona made a mistake, and then Bennett Williams was really good to to punch that ball free from Jaden Delora, and Oregon recovered. But going into the fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure it was 13 points, right? 13 or, or 16 points, and the game's already over. So the the context of when you're allowing yards and when you're allowing points matters, and a great stat for you, Max, is – from the four minutes, from the four minute mark in the second quarter to four minutes into the third quarter, Oregon since the Georgia game is outscoring their opponents something like fifty-five to seven. This the year. middle eight. Yeah, the middle eight. They have been exceptional there, and that that is great coaching. And you can't do that without execution on both sides of the ball. Think about the Stanford game. They routed off twenty-one points in like three minutes. Washington State. They routed off twenty-one points with a defensive score. In about three and a half minutes, the BYU game, they scored before the half. They scored coming out of the half. Arizona, the same thing. They score before the half. They allow a touchdown, unfortunately, on, on a bad play from Noah Sewell and Justin – or, yeah, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. I thought I was about to say Noah Flo and Justin Sewell. But then they come out of the half in the third quarter, and they go down the field and score. They're winning those moments, and that's what's helping them get these games. So – I, I'm I'm with you that the defense still has some room to grow, but anyone who's saying, well, the defense is no good, the defense isn't this, I just haven't seen that because they're putting these games away early, and that's what they're supposed to do. Sure, and, and I'm glad you made that point. Like, I didn't want it to come off like I was saying, oh, Oregon has a bad defense, because that's clearly not the case. I'm just saying that I think that there's another level that they are capable of getting to yes. with yes. with the, the guys that they have, and I think most people would agree with that kind of a point, but I really like your point about the context and – putting some of these games away, it's obviously not all the offense. I mean, the offense has done a tremendous job of putting points up on the board, but uh, at the same time, the defense has to do their job and keep the, uh, keep the opponents kind of at bay. So yeah, just kind of some final points. I think that the, the pass rush has been steadily improving. Uh, I don't think that it's where they want it to be, um, but they are, you know, capable of getting some good pushback and getting some creating more pressure on a week to week basis. Got to be interesting to see how they do against Dorian Thompson Robinson Yep. Um, that's then, a big test that, that, that'll be a good barometer for this conversation we're having is, is the defense actually exploitable and they've just kind of been finding a way to get by, or are they actually pretty good? And I, I, I think Oregon is going to beat UCLA. I don't think it'll be easy, but that defense has played lights out at home so far this year. Yeah. And, and this, uh, the defense has also done a pretty good job generating turnovers, something they're going to continue to have to do probably more so than they have this so far this season because the their next stretch of games gets, I think, pretty difficult um, against some of these opponents like UCLA and Utah. Obviously, that's going to present some challenges for them there. But uh, I know that we have to, to get you out of here to, to see the, the Mariners, Spencer. Um, where can people find more of you? Just wanted to give you a chance to plug your work and what you got going on. At Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter or at Locked on Ducks are the handles in Locked on Ducks Monday through Friday 
on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just hit 1,300 subscribers, which I know some of you in the comments are are a part of that. So I thank all of you very much for for doing that. But you can never have too big of a show. I love being a part of, of this community, and Max, love coming on with you as always, my man. Well, I greatly appreciate your time, man. Uh, I feel like I got to get back on your show now because I think it's been two or three times since you've been on my show. I, I think you, I think you're right. I think you're right. How about uh, how about we plan we plan for next week? Gives the people what the, gives the people what they want. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally down for it. Uh, people always get hyped in the comments, which is fun to see. But if you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorissports. Make sure you take a second out of your day, smash the like button and the subscribe button. Uh, to help us grow the channel, grow the community. And the greatest way you can show some support is sharing the Ducks Dish podcast. Get it out to other family friends, Duck fans, and make sure you uh, make sure you tap in with me on DucksDigest.com. Really trying to take more of a recruiting focus over there because that's what I love to do. And uh, it seems like people always eat it up. But uh, for Spencer McLaughlin, I'm your host, Max Torres. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. See you, everybody. Go Ducks. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.